You're listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration, a podcast dedicated to helping software executives stay on the cutting edge of sales and marketing in their industry. Let's get into the show. This podcast is sponsored by Gong. Gong empowers your entire go-to-market organization by operationalizing your most valuable asset, your customer interactions. Transform your organization into a revenue machine by unlocking reality and helping your people reach their full potential. Get started now at gong.io. Hi, welcome to B2B Revenue Acceleration. My name is Aurélien Moutier, and I'm here today with Stefan Hedebrandt, who is co-founder at dreamdata.io. How are you doing today, Stefan? I am doing pretty good. Today, we will be talking about mapping the customer journey towards revenue. But before we start, could you please introduce yourself as well as the company you represent, dreamdata.io? I've been working in yeah, B2B marketing and growth for, for more than 10 years now, ever since I got out of, out of university. I have out of experience and pure pain, I've learned the hard way that it's all you should do marketing to produce revenue. My claim to how you should do marketing today is really you should do, you should try to produce revenue with all your activities. And uh, kind of the way, reason why I'm saying this is that today now at, at Dream Data, we are, we're, we're, we're basically, we're a B2B go-to-market data platform. And what it essentially we help people do is to take all the touches that they have available about every account they deal with and every user and link it towards whether it ends up being becoming with deals you win in the CRM system, the classic closed one. So, because, and there's so many inherent challenges for, for B2B marketers, which I think you guys and the audience here knows all about that the journeys are long, there's a lot of people involved and it can be a little bit hard on sometimes to understand sure. which of, which of the things are present when we win deal, what are the, what is it really that is the good things and what are the bad things? And by this, I mean, do we sell or do we not sell at the end? So this is the, what we're doing at, at Dream, that is we help all our customers trying to understand kind of this long, complex B2B journey and to see whether the activities that they're doing are ending up producing deals or are not producing deals. So with Dream Data being a revenue attribution tool, I'm sure you produce lots of information, lots of useful data yeah. for marketers that they can use to define their strategy. Yeah. But who are to boil it down from your perspective? What are the most relevant data points marketer should be tracking and basing their decisions on? So first of all, it's about being able to connect the full customer journey. And by being able to do that, then they can also link all of their the activities that they have to revenue, which typically is the problem is that you have some activity that has an associated cost and that associated that my activity and cost is very rarely well linked to, to revenue. And you know, when we have these times that we do have now, you see the marketing budget just getting sliced because they have no, they don't have a strong enough proof that they can give to the, let's say to the chief revenue officer, to the CEO, to the CFO, that these activities over here is actually going to be your pipeline in, in three months. So I think at one is the kind of the strong link. You need to establish that strong link between your activities and, and revenue, just like I would imagine you guys do with all the meetings you book for your clients, <laughs> it's pretty clear the business value of that. And then the other thing is that we can see now that we, you know, we have data from hundreds and hundreds of, of B2B accounts, and we can see the data, the, the journeys are typically 
I think the latest benchmark really released it says 192 days from first touch to deal being on, which means this is going to take a long time before your activity is going to work. And if you're judging, a, you know, your marketing experiments, growth experiments in a too short time frame, you miss, you risk not understanding what is actually going on, but you also risk, which is probably worse that you don't hit your sales targets because you know, you get the timing wrong of the activity. So if marketing has to source 50% of the pipeline and you have no clue about how, how that whole function works, then it's a, it's a big problem for the whole company. Yeah. I appreciate that. And uh, another question for you is around the, what we realize and, and particularly for a bit more of a disruptive vendors, it seems that there is more and more touch points in the process, in the marketing process. So maybe. Yeah. I don't know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago, you had two to three, four decision makers or people involved in the decision making process. It yeah. seems now that our clients may have around, I don't know, maybe eight to 15 different persons that they need to target in order to yeah. make the needle move. So I wanted to know how you, uh, how, you know, how you guys think based on the data you received that we can impact that, that more complex customer journey. Is it? you know, with content, is it so it'd be, be useful to understand if there is any specific tactics that you see for that multi-buyer persona type of journey to be more successful? Yeah. And uh, first of all, uh, I think you're super right that more and more people gets involved in buyer journeys. At least that's my gut feeling as well. And I think it comes down to uh, like in a, in a big word, accessibility of information, because, you know, nowadays everybody expects that they're able to just quickly Google and, you know, find software that can solve certain problems. They can check out websites, see what's working, what's not working, etc. So because the whole world is moving towards this accessibility of information, then it's also easier to say, oh, you should also just take a look at this and you should take a look at that. And the way that I perceive, and this is my opinion, I think you should really utilize your website as being almost a library of any question you might ask related to your product and your industry, because there are going to be so many stakeholders and you might not be, you might only be aware of 50% of the people who's involved in the deal. The rest of the 50 might just be lurking around your website, being on the G2s and Captera, et cetera, just trying to validate the, that the things are working. So you really, really need to be, you can't just squeeze people into like a funnel. They are a little bit more autonomous than that. And I think, I think you, that's my opinion at least is that you, you need to address it in the way that your website needs to hold so much information and so many answers to all sorts of questions, then people can kind of self-service the information that, that, that they need. Okay. So technically you would have, you would have your direct and sales and marketing effort going to specific persona. But then you would have a library of content, maybe for technical people or whatever it may be. So people that may not be in the meeting room or in the Zoom call during the, the, the pitch or the, the, the meetings, but people that technically will be taking part in a way in the process that would want to have a look online and see, get the information for themselves. So self-educate themselves in the, in the process, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's now that I think about it, what? The ones who decide the most about the content we produce is our salespeople, because it's those salespeople who are in the front line every day. And we want to, you know, I think the classic term is that, you know, sales is like one-to-one -one and marketing is one-to-many. So every yeah. time, you know, salespeople hear a repeating thing being mentioned or they, 
they consistently meet a certain objection, then sales should let marketing have this information so they can produce that kind of one-to-many information. So we always closely listen to our salespeople. What are the questions that you're repeatedly being asked? What are the objections? What do people maybe like about our competitors? Can we produce some information that, that can kind of contest this information? So I would, you know, listen closely to the salespeople, investigate, like, who are the people who are always part of these conversations? Are we addressing all the questions that they might have? Do we need to produce something for the CFO that talks about the ROI of buying our software? Does the legal team have some data protection concerns and so forth? I think really you should be completely inspired by the ones that are engaged in your, your sales process. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so coming back to probably my first question, which is like, you know, the different things that marketers should be tracking. Mm. As you were answering, I was thinking where I was last week. So last week I was at a, a big conference in San Francisco, which was good because, you know, it's post-COVID, lots of people were present. Yeah. Probably not as much as you would have seen in a normal year, but it actually feels good to walk down the street and just come across someone that you've not seen for a few years and just catch yeah. up and meet people, you know, having a bit of human contact was also beautiful. But I'm very intrigued to understand how you 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 can correlate the data from physical interaction, which would be kind of the events, a potential workshop or, you know, executive dinners or whatever you may do. So it could mm. be high touch or low touch versus the more uh, digital piece. Because I think the digital piece is probably a little bit more, more simpler. If it's an ad, someone clicks through something, you can probably track them. Yeah. So, so what that lead was created, but how do you correlate the two together? Yeah. So first of all, this is uh, hard. And I think what you can do with, you know, a technology with like ours is you can take anything that has a digital reflection and map that into a customer journey. What you cannot do is stuff that doesn't get a, dig a digital reflection. So that also, first of all, that means that you should see what the information like a tool like ours provided as a statistical framework for your, you know, experience and gut feeling and what else you're experiencing. And it's about, we want to take you from knowing five to 10% to knowing, let's say 50, 60, 70% of what's going on, because that still means you can take very solid decisions about what to do more and what to do less of. Now coming back to, I was also at, I was at the SESPA conference in Barcelona last week, and it was super nice to see people in real life again, <laughs> almost a bit overwhelming, <laughs> but you need to kind of, as an organization, as a team, you need to commit to a digital course. So that means, for example, the people you met at the conferences, you need to kind of give that a digital reflection. So it could be go into the CRM system and making sure you note down, I met this person at this conference again, because if it, if you don't leave that uh, digital stamp, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have value, but you can't really uh, describe the value because it didn't get a reflection. So we take all of these digital reflections and map into the accounts journey. And that means you don't get all of them. You don't get that kind of one-on-one -on -one conversation or you ask a friend and he recommends it. Does that make sense? Uh, well, yeah. Probably. So basically you would take a, let's say you scan someone, you would just want to make sure that, that lady is coming into the system and attributed yeah. against the event. Okay. That's right. That's right. Then uh, you, you can. Then you can flip it around. So you can then also look at the, you can, so then you can do a data-driven approach to it afterwards. So let's say you've won a hundred accounts. And if 
there's an overrepresentation of meeting people at, at, you know, conferences in the one account that it could look like those digital touches were more important than other touches, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, the reason why I'm asking the question is because, but I don't know for your event uh, in Barcelona, but the one we went to in San Francisco, we, we, we got some people telling us about some of the amount of money that is are spending in being there, you know, setting up the booths, then bringing yeah. the people in the hotel's room and, and sometimes even the parties, because there is parties also taking place yeah. in the evening. And yeah. They spend an awful lot of money. And when we ask the question about attribution, sometimes we've got people looking at us, well, we just need to be here. This is an industry mm -hmm. event. We've got to be here. We've got to be represented. This yeah, is no, right. it's about, and, and, and I get that, but I guess that kind of drives another question to you, which is probably a bit of an awkward one is obviously working for dream data, which is an attribution yeah. platform, you want to attribute revenue to everything and you want to link everything, but do, do you think there is some part of marketing that actually cannot and should not have revenue attribution directly linked to them? Things that you need to do in your mix, maybe around brand and stuff like that, but quite frankly, you've got to go to your CFO and CEO and say, do not expect a straight return on investment. Does that exist? Yeah, I think so. The way I think about it is that if there's things that you intuitively know makes sense, then, then they make sense in this, <laughs> in that way that it's important that for us to be physically present here, because then people can see our brand. We might not record that it was here that they saw the brand. So I think I normally always tell people to, first of all, you need to build up a story of why does this make sense? Yeah. And then if you didn't try this story against your, the people in your company and, you know, test it in your team. So I'm thinking about spending this money on going to this conference because I think this will happen. I think that is the first test you need to do. And then next thing is you should try to produce, you can, you can say, maybe let's maybe call it this a minimal viable return on investment or something like that. <laughs> That's sometimes how I, I try to do these, you know, where it's harder to measure. If we go to this conference and we need if we can get one customer out of going to this conference, it's probably actually worth it. And then you kind of just have to trust this kind of investment thinking around it. Yeah. But I would say that most good marketing leads are trace, whether that comes in the form of somebody, you know, posting it just as a LinkedIn post, or they tell you. I saw you at this conference, then you need to bring that story to your team. So yeah. the next, next time you want to go to story, uh, to a, a conference, you have that story in hand that this customer said this wasn't important. So there's the stuff you can touch and then there's stuff that is harder to kind of grasp, but it's still valuable. And I think you as a marketer is then responsible for doing like a verbal handover of the attribution, <laughs> if that makes, of makes sense. I think yeah. I really, because like there's, as you say, that's just stuff that makes sense to do, but it's hard to measure. And then what we should try to do as, you know, people in go to market is at least make sure that people understand the narrative of our actions. Yeah. Yeah. I believe that is, is the same for sales. There is some actions that are probably have, would, would have a direct correlation to, to revenue, but there may be some action you want to take in sales that may not have a direct correlation to revenue, like yeah. being active on social media, helping others, you know running communities and things like that. So, but, but what was interesting with, with last week is that most of the people we spoke to 
yeah. would exhibit. So they would have a booth. They would have they would have people sitting on the booth, but not executive people. More people that can speak to bypasser and show them a bit mm. of a demo and stuff like that. It seems that all the execs from a client, so from a from a from a, an exhibitor perspective and from yeah. a prospective, so so the, their potential buyer perspective, they would be in all the hotels scattered around the event place, you know, because there is mm. a few hotels around the, the, the Moscone yeah. Center. And people will be going from suite to suite, having one-to-one -one meetings. So mm. it's kind of, it's funny because it's kind of a place where people go fishing and go hunting. So the fishing is waiting on your boats for someone to come, scan them, engage the conversation, yeah, yeah, yeah. potentially collect some information, but may not, it may not be information with your direct buyer, as you just suggested. It could be with someone that work for your direct buyer, so your ICP, mm. and then we can touch on ICP after, but that can give you information to then go to the right ACP moving forward and have the right conversation with them. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you've got the hunting element, which was also driven by, by marketing in, in most of the case where you would either have, you would have new prospects meeting with your sales guys. Mm. And then you've got the last part, which is what we discussed a little bit earlier on, which is it's a multi-touch process. And yeah. you mentioned the website as a place where people can get information while having an event well, we know that people will be there. It's also a great place to say, hey, Stefan, why don't you come? I know that you are interested about the marketing side of what we do. Yeah. And I've been speaking to your sales guy and you know, they're all convinced. But since you will be there, why don't we get together and, and speak? Yeah. So there was also a lot of, from what we've been told, a lot of meeting taking place with basically an opportunity that is already in process. But yeah. we want to have a different touch point with them. And that gives us the opportunity to have not only a face-to-face -face touch point, which is yeah. good, despite the fact that we move digital and lots of people prefer to be digital because it's ease of life. Yeah, I think yeah. when you are a salesperson or marketing person, having a bit of face-to-face -face interaction yeah. is also very cool and makes yeah. a big difference. But yeah, so, so it was quite interesting to see how the whole thing. So it was an, an element of pure fishing, an element of hunting, an element of accelerating the sales cycles through meeting someone that is in their journey. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, the whole event playbook needs to be brushed off again for, for people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think, and also this kind of, if your product is something complex, the, the physical meeting will be even more important because it, it can be hard for on a zoom call to, to read does he really, or does she really understand what I'm saying now? Or is it just something that they're not really not interested in? Like the, the, the sense of being physically together, I, I totally agree, helps a lot. I agree with you. And, and last question for you. So you've spoken previously about the importance of turning away customers that don't align with the ACP. So just going back to the ACP and all the things ah, we discussed. Yes. Yeah. 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 So. Can you tell us a little bit more about that concept and it's kind of a, it's not a concept really, but can you, can you tell us a little bit more about that disruptive thoughts of yours? And also, can you explain the benefits of this rather than having a broader approach to marketing? Yes. So ICP, which is basically means ideal customer profile, and that probably means a lot of different things in different companies. But what it has been for us, I think this is one of the most important things we've learned in the last couple of years has been to use it as a strategic alignment across the company, not just in marketing, not just in sales or not just in, in product. What it means for us now is that do all of our marketing only to attract ideal customer profiles 
our salespeople are only allowed to work on accounts that looks like ideal customer profiles and the product team only works build features for the ideal customer profile. So in all these different places, a lot of resources are going in. And if you don't in your company have it written down and explained to everybody, why is these people our ideal customer profile, then there can be such a waste in activities all over the place. And for example, in the back in the day, we, we used to sell to all kinds of B2B companies because, you know, if you can push somebody to sign a contract, it always feels good. But what doesn't feel good is that if, uh, if you sold to somebody who was not a good fit for your product, there was not a chance that they could actually be a happy customer. Then CS is left with a big problem because they're trying to make them happy product team it has to go off the rails to to produce something else that is actually not meant for your ideal customer profile and you know if you start analyzing the closing rates of you know those are kind of hopefully the closing rate of your ideal customer profile is better than you know other types of accounts then you just start to see that if you're really tight about these things <laughs> everything just starts to float a lot better i don't know if that's your experience as well or yeah, I think we do pretty much the same. So I would say it's not second nature, but it it's very important to make sure that everybody in the organization focuses on the right ACP, particularly when it comes to sales and marketing, of course, because you want to prospect. But for us, there is a big delivery center as well. So we've got people who are in operation. And, and that's why it can become an issue because when you are in operation, you may have to, to report to different people, okay? And then you may have divergence between people. Mm. Okay, so someone on the ground may not agree with someone with so someone who is based in uh, France, for example, with regional may not agree with someone who is based in the US with global. But the person in the US may be the person having the budget and they want consistency across the board. And the person in France is like, well, no, because this is not the way it works in France, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> so we have that sort of interesting back and forth sometimes with the ACP because technically both of those individuals are important to us, but mm. at some points we need, it's, it's more about how do we manage the communication in an, in an yeah. event of that nature and conflict management. So it could, because sometimes conflict is not, again, for us when we're in a delivery phase, it's not about us creating the conflict. It could be an individual wanting something slightly different versus the enterprise agreement that you've got with an organization. And that's kind of difficult because <laughs> if you change what you are doing, you just so, so yeah, so, so the concept is, is kind of well established at operatics, but we still find it challenging because yeah, I guess for us, it's slightly different than just normal sales process where you just sell to one person. It could be, it, and the project are changing. So ICP can, so not the ICP itself, it would still remain the same function and the same individual, the, the same yeah. title, if you will, but the individual yeah. can change. Yeah. So it's more about how do we, what do we do when the, a trigger is pulled on an ACP mm -hmm. change and how do we manage that change, that change? And how do we make sure that? I mean, it is almost like a change management process that you need to communicate and you need to make sure that everybody understands why things are as they are, yeah. like both up and both down in the, yeah. in, in, in the organization. Yeah, our ICP is very straightforward. You know, you've got people who are managing the, the PNL in a small company that would be a CEO, in a large organization that could be a managing director, that could be a, someone who is responsible for a business unit or for, for a region, a territory. Then you've got the people who are responsible for marketing because usually these are the people who have the budget for us, for operatics. And then you've got yeah. the salespeople who are the receiving <laughs> end, okay? 
when you speak to the top, you really want to speak about how marketing and sales should work better together. We speak about accelerating sales cycle, increasing average deal value. When you speak to marketing, often marketing people will tell you, particularly if you proactively engage, proactively engage with them, they will tell you that their budget is allocated. And that unfortunately, even if you've got the best offering on the planet, they can't really change what they've already got in place, right? And then you speak to sales. And the good news with sales is that they, they seem to be never really too happy about what, what marketing is giving them sometimes. So that can give you a very interesting overview on what's happening with the organization. So that's the simple process. But then when you get engaged with the account and they start working with you, so in the sales process for us, it's very important that we speak to the triangle. You don't want to just speak to marketing and marketing choosing you and the guy at the top or the guy responsible for the PNL and the salespeople have not spoken to you because you want to establish with the two other what's in it for them. And then you want to agree what they should see from a reporting perspective and stuff like that. Very important that we speak to the three of them because if you speak to two and the third one is not convinced, or even if you speak to three and one is not convinced in that triangle, you may as, we may as well not move forward because we, it's going to be a car crash. Someone will say, no, I don't want to support the campaign. And it's like anything, you know, a good team of people will support themselves if they believe that they work as an extension of each other. You'll support your colleague. You won't let them down unless you are a bad human. I'm sure there is some. You always should see the positivity of working with someone. And, but again, I think it's, it's being polite. If you're going to deliver like a meeting for a salesperson or a sales group, it's only polite that you include them in the decision-making process. God, they, they will be at the receiving end. You can't just say, well, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to change everything, but that's fine. You know, we, you do your target anyway. So it's kind of that the, the way we've got to, to deal with it is there is an aspect of it of ICP and importance of speaking with every, everyone at the beginning of the process in the sales process. But then there is an ongoing customer success is keeping our customer success team very busy, which is well dealing with the changes, new people coming in with another way of thinking, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. yeah you need to constantly check in with everybody. And I like speaking of your case, I, I normally always tell marketers that the quickest way to improve their return on ad spend is to become good friends with the sales team, <laughs> because yeah. like, you can ha hand over a thousand leads, but if the salespeople don't want to work on these leads, you know, then you're still not going to have any profit on your ads. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we see that, we see that with everything, you know, we see that with content syndication. We see that with, with, with lots of marketing functions, they could be internal or they could be external vendors. Those people are creating leads. They are identifying maybe an interesting information or a priority or someone looking into something that may not need that they are ready to buy. We've got to be careful that, you know, marketing is not only, at least in my perspective, marketing is not only perceived as someone who just deliver business to sales, because if, why would you need sales otherwise, right? I think what marketing is supposed to do is to give you indication of where you should prioritize your time, which is kind of the, the syndication and, you know, the priority engine that you would see in the market where they can tell you with looking at your content or content similar to what you do. And then you need to turn that around into a proactive approach, right? You need to, to your point, you need to identify who are all the right people. You want to speak to the business, the finance business led person and discuss the business case with them. What's the return from a financial perspective? You want to speak to the technical guy and also tell them that when they implement your solution, they won't have to work extra time. 
they won't have to work overnight. It's going to be easy to implement, etc. So that's really the spectrum. And then in the middle, you've got lots of other people to influence so they can understand what's in it for them. And that's something that is sales need to do, I think, more, particularly when you go into large deals. And that's a challenge because it's complicated. You need to identify all your ICP. You need to list them. And you almost need to have, okay, this is the message for this guy. This is the value we deliver for this individual. And this is how we convince them. So when there is a consensus and they're all around the table, they all clap and cheer for, for our solution. That's nice. Yeah, I, I, I very much uh, agree with this sign up. Uh, the complexity typically in, the, in larger organizations. So Stephen, thank you so much for all your insight today and for spending some time with us. You share some very, very good information. If anyone wants to get in touch with you to carry on the conversation or to discuss about dream, dreamdata.io, what's the best way to get hold of you, Stephen? You just said the name of our website, but besides that, then I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So people can just hit me up there and I'll be happy to connect with them. Cool. Well, thank you so much, Stefan. It was a great pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, likewise, Lillian. Have a nice day. Take care. You've been listening to B2B Revenue Acceleration. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. This podcast is sponsored by Gong. Gong empowers your entire go-to-market organization by operationalizing your most valuable asset, your customer interactions. Transform your organization into a revenue machine by unlocking reality and helping your people reach their full potential. Get started now at gong.io.